Two percent. Two percent. Two percent. Uh, the two percent's right over here. Oh, hey, Jenna. I didn't know you shopped here. Uh, yeah. Anything to support local food. Know what I mean? I definitely do. Though that's not the only thing you do in the name of Good Eats, obviously. Well, true. I also host Eating Matters every Wednesday at 5 p.m. where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. Be sure to tune in. All right, gotta get the plug in there. I get it. Yep, I'm hashtag shameless. You know what else you can do to support the local food community, right? Well, yeah. Make a donation to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. That's right. And I gotta call you out on the whole local thing. What do you mean? Well, The Farm Report, A Taste of the Past, Japan Eats. Those are shows that take you around the country and the world. I'll give you that. So how can listeners give their support? It's pretty easy. Just go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the big red heart in the top right corner. It's pretty easy from there. Thanks. Open Table is a proud sponsor of Heritage Radio Network. For more information, visit their blog, Open for Business, at openforbusiness.opentable.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Episode 177 of The Morning After. I am your host, Sari Kamen. And I am Leslie Stockton. Today in the studio, we have Cesare Casella. Did I say that right? Yes. You can talk, by the way. (laughs) And Patrick Dollard. And we'll be talking with him a little later. But first, not food news. Yes, food news. Yes, food news. Yes, food news. But yet, and and before food news, just have a little announcement today. I just wanted to remind you guys listening out there that The Morning After is produced by Heritage Radio Network. We are a nonprofit, member-supported radio station devoted to all things food. So if you would please, please help keep HRN alive by becoming a member today, we would appreciate it. You can go to heritageradionetwork.org, that's on the internet, and click on the beating heart to donate. Do it now, and if you do, you will have our love forever. That's a pretty good deal, huh? I will love everybody forever. Well, that's priceless. Give us money. Okay, food news. news. All right, so first up, a chef in England is currently out of a job. Uh, The reason? Because he has been discovered it has been discovered that he was secretly feeding meat to vegans. (laughs) Not funny, sorry. No. Not funny, not funny. Yeah. And this this came out of an Instagram fight he was having with someone I guess on Instagram, um, he was he was talking to a, a woman who didn't eat meat on Instagram, and he told her that, quote, being a vegan is a minority, and he advised Whoa. her to find a better way to spend your time, and his personal favorite is feeding vegans animal products and them not knowing. So that wasn't very nice, and then he, he lost his job, so... Um. Chester, how do you do? You have any thoughts on this? I know you're. I mean, you're Italian. You're you're a natural Italian meat lover. Chef. Well, no, I love I love the meat, but at the same time, I love it when it's a good vegetable. Yeah, I back it two days ago from uh, Luca from my own town, and uh, pleasure to go in the garden, in my mom's garden, and um, take the zucchini, eat raw without oh. anything. <laughs> 
no salt, no. <laughs> Nothing. You're and hardcore. They, and these are so flavor. And then you jump in the tomato field, and you take the tomato. <laughs> what is the dressing? <laughs> oh when my God. you have the ingredients, they are taste so good. Okay, can this be the show today? Can yeah, Desiree just talk about eating raw vegetables? <laughs> <laughs> I am so entertained. from the earth. <laughs> I love this show. Okay, well, speaking, speaking of meat... Uh, a new Ikea, or not a new Ikea, an Ikea has a new product, but this Ikea happens to be in, guess where, Leslie? Oh, I I don't know. Japan! I, oh my gosh! <laughs> Our favorite place to have food news come from. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So Ikea Japan can't just be like all the other Ikeas and serve boring meatballs. No! They are serving a ninja dog, which is a hot dog that is pitch black what what is it what is what it is japan it? what is it? why why, why? Japan? why do you have to serve why so the much? black meats why the black i don't meats? know apparently why you discriminate the I, black I, meat no oh, not at all no easy there so i have a black pig so what is it you don't like my pigs do you, would you serve food infused with charcoal though it's charcoal not, it's yeah. not natural it's not. dyed with charcoal, charcoal? You know the look, charcoal? Tesri, look at this picture. It's an all-black hot dog and a black bun to that look like is, a ninja. That can be very porno picture. <laughs> you see the, how that, the picture that you show me. Okay, he's, he's, he's looking black, at a picture of you know a, what a large black hot dog after and you, he said you it was pornographic. The, what, what's it they say? I just snorted, guys. I'm what sorry. Do you say? Once you go black, you never go back. Yes! <laughs> so I... Is it there? I, I don't know if it's true because. Okay. No, I'm. You heard it. You yes. heard it here. That's where he supports I, I, it. I, <laughs> but here in Japan, you have a fan. You know, in Italy, they, the horn. they have all these stuff that uh, now there was a mozzarella, black mozzarella. Yeah, what's up with that? Yeah. That is a disgusting. It's a, <laughs> it's a mozzarella with inside charcoal. Yeah. Charcoal is a good for cooking, not for to eat. Oh, you know, oh, but yeah, but apparently it has like detoxifying. Yeah, you take it, it. No, you have you go in the pharmacy in Italy. You have this uh, this uh, pill in charcoal. Yeah, but you eat the pill, you no, know, eat no blender with the good food. So uh, okay, so would you right. eat this hot dog from IKEA? No. So w- first of all, would you be eating an IKEA in Japan? I believe I don't. <laughs> Maybe. I'm a very I'm a very easy guy. <laughs> you know, if it comes highly recommended. Uh, why would you not? If Cesare told me to eat it, I would eat it. Yeah, okay. much. And finally, back in the good old U.S. of A., a North Carolina couple was arrested for attacking each other with pizza rolls. Now, this one this one has to hit close to home because it's, you know, pizza, Italy. What do, you, what do you think about that? I mean, should pizza rolls be used to attack each other? First of all, I don't know what is a pizza roll. <laughs> Okay. So, if okay. you explain to me, so okay, I can't. Okay, so it's like a little snack. It's a pocket. It's a little with. little mini snack. On the inside, it's like hot pizza, and you microwave so you, it. You show something like this. It's a pocket inside. Yeah, and so, inside it's like a hot pizza. Yeah, you but microwave I, it. before you have the black hot dog. I don't know. I don't. I know, it's great. This is a crazy food news segment. Yeah, I I love these news. (laughs) (laughs) So this couple was using these pizza rolls to attack each other. Hot or frozen? Unclear. Uh. Um, Either way, they could either be burned or scalded by the frozenness. 
and they were arrested after the fight broke out. Wait, wait, where were they fighting? North Carolina. But where? I mean, was it obviously it was in public? But where? Where? I mean, are we talking about Totino's pizza rolls, or are we talking about like a restaurant pizza roll? No, she had a a very specific knowledge in the. The devil's in the details for me. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, they're being held currently on a $2,500 bond. If someone wants to, to help them out, let them free, free the pizza roll. I need more details. Okay, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll come back to that okay. later. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to be back with Cesare and Patrick and talk about their, their new book, Feeding the Heart. Table is a proud sponsor of Heritage Radio Network. Open Table is home to the world's largest dining network, seating over 17 million diners every month. Their technology solutions help restaurants run and grow their businesses. That means providing memorable hospitality to every guest, streamlining front of house operations, and optimizing seating to seat more diners and drive more business. Chefs, restaurateurs, and other industry professionals can find more tips and best practices for running a successful restaurant on their blog, Open for Business at openforbusiness.opentable.com. And we're back. You're listening to The Morning After on Heritage Radio Network. We are in studio with Patrick Dollard and Cesare Casella. Patrick is the president and CEO of the Center for Discovery, an internationally renowned provider of research, intervention, and residential services for children and adults with developmental disabilities and medical complexities. As a nationally recognized thought leader, Mr. Dollard is one of the field's most innovative visionaries in the development of new models of cost-effective, high-quality care for special populations. Chef Cesare Casella is an Italian chef, restaurateur, writer, consultant, and educator. He is a 2013 James Beard Foundation nominee. He currently holds the position as the Dean of Italian Studies at the International Culinary Center in New York. He is the chief of the Center for Discovery's Departments of Nourishment Arts. Welcome to the show, Patrick and Cesare. Thank you. Thank you for to be <laughs> invite us. <laughs> <laughs> they enjoyed some pizza and wine before coming on the show from Roberta's, where we are today. Yes. How was that? It was a fantastic. Too, oh. Too, too bene. Grazie. <laughs> we, we, like, we like our guests nice Plus, and we tasted the bread from Brad Lab. Brad Lab. Ooh. Yes. And the espresso from there. Wow. A you had a, a very Italian day. You really we have did. A very, we have a very Brooklyn no, You're very life. Brooklyn cool. Yes, I feel. Yes, of course. Well, Maybe I need to move in Brooklyn. Maybe. Um, so you guys are here to talk about lots of things, including this this book you have worked on together called Feeding the Heart. And it's kind of a, an explanation of what you do together at the Center for Discovery. So, Patrick, why don't you just start us off and tell us about what, what the Center for Discovery is. Okay. It's, uh, it's a place that you know, 30, 40, 40 years ago started to deal with very complex folks who came out of the big institutions. And I learned, unfortunately, early on that food was not a matter of a choice in those places. It was just, uh, it was thrown out on a table. And as we developed our program, we realized we needed food security from antibiotics. We needed 
food to be much more important about personal health. And so three decades ago, uh, we started our farm operation uh, to really grow good food and safe food for the folks. And this was sort of counterintuitive because people didn't think people with complex disease or disorders deserved it, and uh, we thought differently. So, uh, you know, before Whole Foods was a dream of somebody's and all these other things, we were actually doing it, or at least attempting to do it. Uh, we got to a certain point, and then, thank God, Cesare flew in and landed and some 15 years ago, took over the Department of Nourishment Arts, our farming operation, our culinary operation, and he's now taking it to a place that we see food as medicine. And, uh, and it's that simple. It's not that complicated. It's about if you're dealing with somebody who has a complex disorder or a, or a medical disability of some sort, the most important thing you do is keep them healthy, and, and food is all about that. And so it's, there's a lot of people who are trying to parse this and make this something other than rational. And more and more places, I think now you see major institutions and hospitals are starting to realize that food is very important. We just happen to be about three decades ahead of everybody else. <laughs> and with, with Cesare, who actually brought it to another level, in referring to the folks we care for as guests instead of clients or patients and stuff. The Department of Nourishment Arts is taking it to a whole other level, and we're hope, hopeful over the next couple of years to really demonstrate through research how important this is for personal health and ultimately cost savings to keep people healthy and happy. And food can do that to you. Yeah. I love the term nourishment arts. It's the first time I encountered it. Can, can you describe what that is? Well, Chez came to me, and he was trying to find a way, and he, he, he got caught up on DNA. He thought that was sexy, you know. And then he said... Department of Nourishment Nourishment Arts. arts. Right? Okay. And then I said, I think probably somebody has that patent. All it, it, we, we now own that patent. But he says nourishment is more about what food is about. It's about... And, and I'll let Chez explain that because he came up with it. But really, I don't know what it was the word nourishment. I know in Italian, but and this is not was a word I use. Come about, I was looking some word. The, what is the our work at the center? We take care for people, and uh, we try to make sure they are happy and uh, to give it the best and to give a love. And nourishment is a better word I look in the dictionary, now because many times I translate between Italian and English, <laughs> and I go in the dictionary, and I thought it was a great word, nourishment, because it's not only that you feed, but you feed with the love, you mm -hmm. take care for something. Yeah, how, how is growing up in Italy and like you know what your upbringing was like how has that affected the way your understanding of nourishment and like how food can equal love and, and caretaking? But you know, in Italy is a um, simple. We eat, we think about it, we live for it, we live for growing food, and we try to understand better what we eat. And especially like myself, the, I grew up in the country. I'm a country boy, 
and uh, well, my friend uh, was a farmer. The restaurant, my family restaurant, uh, is in the country, and uh, we growing our um, vegetable. We raise the pigs, we raise the chicken, and then um, it's a very important what is the relationship from uh, in the, your life because your life is a part what you eat. It is a part of your life, and then. Um, Never know what it was McDonough. I I meet Mr. McDonough uh, 1998 when I was in New York, and uh, there was a strange time. And uh, no, I the first time I ate uh, McDonough food, and uh, then it wasn't nothing. If you think I look at uh, uh, my own town. They don't let the McDonald's to have a store inside the town. They must be outside the town. Because we don't believe in something that... Um, something... Now, good, but maybe known for what we believe. And, but for me, it's important, uh, the food. And um, now I enjoy, and um, that sometimes is a bad, because uh, if you enjoy the food, and uh, you like it to eat... And like uh, back from uh, Italy, in the la, uh, two weeks in Italy, with the food, uh, mom food. Is that no? Is that <laughs> you going to have uh, more energy? Let's uh, tell in this way. But it's important the food and the growing is a respect for the food, respect for the ingredients, and uh, you know when is uh, the right product. And then um, now like. Uh, I grew up with the pigs, and then my daughter she asked, uh, "Now I, I raise pigs and I make a salami." And uh, my daughter she told me, "You don't like uh, uh, how you can do. You need uh, to butcher the, the pigs." And I explained how I grew up. Um, my grandparents have a farm, they have pigs, and um, they have this pig called Mimo. And uh, in, in May, they, we go to the fair, we take uh, the baby pig, the piglet, and uh, we raise it until December, January. Then, when I have a January, you butcher it. And uh, for that uh, nine months, it was uh, the pet. And then, when I have in, in December, you butcher And, uh, you know, they come with the Norcino. The Norcino is uh, the man, they make a prosciutto, salami, and... Uh, so that you make all the product for all the year. So what are you eating? One month, two months, three months? Because in winter time there was the time, the only food there was only what you preserve before. And um, you have the prosciutto there. That prosciutto was a mimo. So mimo have the after life mimo the prosciutto. And then in May we're going to buy the new piglet. The name is a Mimo. So we still <laughs> to have a Mimo all the time. <laughs> well, that makes sense. <laughs> I have That's a question. Yeah. What, what year did you arrive in New York? 1991. What was your impression of the product and the food that was available in New York in 1991 coming from Italy? There was a there was a, a strange. The, uh, what I was lucky, 
Uh, two things. When I arrived in 1991, I used to come for one week every month for consulting. I was uh, working in this uh, place, is uh, the name is Concopazzo. Um, there was one of the most incredible, beautiful, sexy, hot restaurant in New York, Italian restaurant. And they have uh, great ingredients, but they were different. Uh, for example, in Italy, we have the lamb. When we use lamb, they are small lamb. When they, they are the time of the baby lamb, they eat the fish grass or never they eat the grass. Here, the lamb, I saw this dragon. They told me, I asked, what is that? Lamb. Lamb, that is a sheep. <laughs> because it's so big. They, but the same ingredients, there was good, but different. And then, but for sure, no, like you can find today. Today you can find everything, every good. Before there was a, only for a few people. So you have the right connection with the, the airlines. So you have the fresh product that came from Italy. But there was only for a few people, like the fish. I remember there was a, no easy to find the fish. You have only few vendors that have a fantastic fish. And then today is still something interesting. That, for example, the fish, uh, when they go home, is much better. Or the fruit. Here, you, the fruit, you have only when they arrive at, at this point that you can something local. But in Italy, I like the peach when you eat. It's a ripe. You have all the juice that come for you. You make it dirty, all the shirt. And the, the, the peach, they're so sweet. But the one thing, one fruit that is great here, the cherries. Oh, the okay. cherry, they are good. But now, the, the juicy, uh, wet peach is a something never you can have here. <laughs> Okay. Good to know. It's got a little more sensual <laughs> than I expected. <laughs> um, so why don't you guys explain, I mean, first of all, tell us about your book, Feeding the Heart, and then it's it seems to be centered on this one philosophy you guys call seed to belly, which is just a really lovely concept. Can you talk about what that is? Okay, I start and I finish. Okay. It's a better for finish. Okay. <laughs> so seed to belly is a really... Uh, the idea is a no, farm to table. Farm to table, of course, we all but, know that one. But uh, we don't think that we are more smart. But because we care for our guests and uh, we want to be more deep, we start from uh, what is the seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a research already from uh, what are we growing. And then plus... All the vegetables that we have at the center, they are 240 acres, uh, biodynamic farm. It's all biodynamic. All biodynamic. Wow. And then um, every seed, every vegetable, they are seeded from the, our guest, for our uh, student, from our adult. And then for us, it's a not really big important, so important that the seed to put uh, there in the soil, but it's uh, fantastic. And then I want to invite you to see the art, but the, that art is something they're growing 
in a, what is the belly. And I explain your belly because farm to the table, they arrive at the farm and you deliver to the restaurant and the cook. We, want, we care for the belly, one of the major uh, problems of the gut. Mm-hmm. So what we want is only in the way you feed, in the way we serve, in the way we uh, transport, in the way that we move all the, our ingredients. We try to be sustainable. We are 100% sustainable in uh, pork meat. We are 90% in the vegetable for the summertime. Uh, not yet we can grow lemon, uh, lime, uh, but I say that almost everything so we, we grow in there. Um, we grow in ginger. Um, but it's important what is the respect of the ingredients, respect the, for who we serve. And there are no restaurants, it's our guests. And I think the um, the other celebration in the book is about Cesare and all his chef friends, Mark Ladner and Kevin Garcia, Maria Loy, and Ches will mention hopefully the other folks that pitched in in the book. So it's sort of like a cookbook, but it also talks about our philosophy about, uh, you know, food is medicine, it's health. And because we started, you know, 40 years ago with kids with complex medical disorders, G-tubes and all kinds of gut-related issues, food is very important, particularly not putting bad food, antibiotic-ridden food into somebody. And over the last 30 years now that we're dealing with a really the prevalence of autism, and in that disorder we see gut disease, celiac and other disease, where food is even more important. So the food thing is going to catch on. And, you know, Food in, in general public, you know, we, we have a lot of foods in our food systems that are really toxic to us. Food could be the modern-day DDT, where we don't see it coming, and we're hurting ourselves. And so we're a place that wants to try to figure that out. Ches has created a platform with the farming and the culinary uh, part of it. Our chefs know how to prepare the food properly. And now we have a whole research division that's going to start to look at, does this really work? You know, we're a place that we have a saying, we think, therefore we're uncertain. And so we're constantly at work. You know, we haven't arrived. A lot of people see us as pretty special. And sometimes they think we're arrogant because we've sort of been so far ahead of the planet. But it's not arrogance. We're just on a mission to uh, try to figure it out. And really provide hope for folks with who are run into complex disorders. And I've said for the last 40 years, you live long enough, you join my club. And I think with dementia disease and all kinds of brain disease, food is even more important. And also bad food is even more important, what we put in our bodies. So we have the science, we have the research, we're a pretty dynamic place with multiple universities that work with us. But Ches came in as like, uh, as like Moses. He came in who just sort of started to figure it out and make it work. And this book is about that journey. Um, and, we, and we're starting our second book, and we're already in production for the third book. 
The third book will be a lot more sexy. It'll be more fun. It'll be like this radio show. But the first two are going to be a little bit more, um, I shouldn't say Republican, but it'll be a little more conservative. Yeah, that's not a word to go out to you. Yeah. The third we don't one, throw the R word around here very much. The third one, watch out. Just watch out. Something's coming. What kind of changes have you seen like with, with your patients or your guests that you know who live in the center and once they come and they start eating the food that Chez is cooking and serving what sort of results the, the, have you the seen real at this point? big thing that we've been able to measure is we have a lot of kids coming in who would be uh, ob- registered obese we get that down and that's a combination of food and exercise in our remarkable clinic and educational team sort of working together on it we seem to have that figured out and uh, you know, Jennifer Frank, who's Ches's, who heads the clinical and the, uh, you know, really runs the DNA on a, on a daily basis, is working on some other really specific research in terms of gut disease. And we hope to have some more information on that. You know, when Ches talks about food and happiness, that's a big part of it. There's an energy, there's an endorphin that just comes out when you're happy. And I think... It's, that's going to take a lot more science that we don't even understand yet, but you can feel it, you can see it, and there's a lot of happiness around that. You know, we, we prepare uh, almost 2,500 meals a day, so we're a pretty big show, and Chez sort of is the maestro of that. Occasionally I call him Benito, but that's sort of not religious too, <laughs> as in Mussolini, but no, no. We, don't, we don't want to say that too loud. He gets... He gets the trains running on time. But we're, we're still, it's a work in progress. And, you know, I think that this opportunity for us to talk about it is that we still have so much work to do. And everything relies on 1,600 brilliant staff who bring it every day, from our farmers to our clinicians and educators and people working in the houses, our chefs and everybody. It's that combination uh, and food and that kind of family energy sort of gets infectious. And it's, uh, watch out, good things are coming. Let's talk about um, the, uh, back to what you raise. You have your own breed of pigs? Yes, because um, a few years ago we tried to bring this specific type of the breed that was in Tuscany there was a Cinta Senese and then they don't let us to bring so um, we work in that we we created this breed where is a flavor nutritional they are happy pigs and then we raise free, um, free range all the time all the time of the year they are outside they are so healthy and then when you have a healthy animal they're going to be healthy food what um i assume that you're a breed as a crossbreed of yes. yes so what are the so breeds? We, we brought a mississippi black which was a rare breed breed that we brought in initially a big black floppy-eared pig and then chez bred that with or he didn't do the breeding himself although maybe he did <laughs> i don't know you know he's pretty there was he's, pretty, he's there pretty familiar wrong, with the pigs but then I think we had the Hampshire and the Hampshire, the Durak, Durak, and, and the, all the spot. There was a yeah. play around. I don't know exactly the technical part because you know, it was a present. 
Yeah, we had to watch him because he was looking for the lardo. You know, the Italians just want the lardo. The fat, yeah. Yep. And uh, so we bred that, and then we, our, our breed is called Stonewall Black. So it's this combination. And then I think it's drifted into other... Yeah, They're like everybody's mating now, so we don't even know it. So. You know, That's is, hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> now, what is great, you see the other pigs, the pig, and, uh, you know, because you raise with love, and you feed it with love. Well, I read that you first got introduced, or you... you established your relationship with the center because you were looking for a place to raise your cows. Yes. Yes, yeah, so... Do you still have cows? Yes, we do. Okay. So I, I had purchased, or we had purchased through a gift, a very large herd of Kianina from Texas and also a big Kianina bull called Montopoli. He almost weighed 4,000 pounds. And we had about 40 pure-blooded Kianina in the bull. And then this farmer introduced me with Chez, who had his herd but it was in a county above us. And I walked into his restaurant, Beppe, once with all of our cows, and I had all of their heritage, their great-grandfathers, their grandmothers, and all of this. And the Italian breed, when a Chianina is born, it's given a letter of a year. So I had a lot of Monte... Michelangelo, Montepoli, Maria. So you had all of those... Ches named all of his cows after Puccini operas, so he, like, confused us. <laughs> so we became real good friends, and then all of a sudden he calls me one day, and he says, my cow has been tainted. What the hell? She's been raped. And I go, what? This farmer who was keeping his cows had an Angus bull and impregnated one of his Kenina, and he because went crazy. Because the Kenina, they are from Tuscany. They are cute. They are beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and these Angus, American Angus, there was a... Yeah, and they have all these angles, yeah. and they just saw all so, these white, beautiful Tuscan cows. So he, so he calls me screaming, and I go, okay, we'll bring him down here. And he, we, he brought his herd, and then he gifted the herd to the center. And the baby that was born from that was Chocolata. We still have well. Yes, we do. This beautiful Chai Angus, Akinina Angus, because it's a beautiful girl that just came out. And Chocolata is like, she had a baby, and we called the baby Hershey. We had, we stayed in the chocolate family, and I, I think <laughs> we're Hershey in Nutella. Yeah, we're we're in the third, of, and and so we then crossed because the Kenina takes maybe almost a year longer to get to a place where you can, uh, you know, harvest them, and so we went with this breed, and they're beautiful. It's a beautiful, uh, beautiful cow, and Chocolata was our relationship coming together. Wow. And she's this beautiful cow that still hangs out. And every time she has a baby, Ches and I have to make sure she's okay. <laughs> so. How old is she now? She's probably 10 or 12. Oh, yeah. At least. Getting up yeah. there at in least. Those cow years. Maybe more. More. Maybe 18. No, 18, but 13, yeah. 14. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's, had, she's had at least four. I know she's had her. She can have a driving license. That's right. <laughs> So you guys have this book that's out. So tell me about, like, sort of what was the, the goal of the book? What are you hoping to accomplish with having it out there in the world? Well, I, I think it's the beginning of trying to introduce to the whole community of, of, of education and clinical health that food is very important and that it can't be a one-off anymore, you know, where you just sort of put food in somebody's mouth, even though they have 
uh, chronic illness or disease. So it sort of puts food inside a very important line of clinical support. And, uh, and, I, and I also think that there's a, there's a design element to this. There's a remarkable notion of design, view shed design, where when you're working in any kind of facility and you look outside and you see a farmer or you see animals, there's a very powerful connection to nature. And that's what we also are trying to inspire, this whole notion of how view shed and environment can really help the, the psyche of somebody who's dealing with really problems or trouble. And so we tried to introduce that whole notion of not only the food, but looking out the window and seeing animals or participating with animals or seeing farmers working seven days a week. You know, it's interesting that in human care, it's a seven-day, 24-hour function, whether it's a hospital or a place like us. The only corresponding job, other than restaurants that run 24 hours a day, is farming. And that, if you combine those two, all of a sudden people who are working with both really see the importance of something that is... 365 days a year, it's work, and you have to continue to replenish it with, just as you replenish the soil, you have to replenish your staff to make sure they're able to deal deal with that kind of constant work. So I think the combination, which is a whole design format that will be in book two, about how you create a view shed where you live that inspires you to feel healthy. Who are you hoping will read it? I think it's a very interesting um, book for people that enjoy the food, and not only food for eating. And um, they are great recipes because uh, thanks to all the um, the chef, they are, this program they call Master Chef, Da Vinci Master Chef. There are a lot of chefs from Bill Telepan, who's a crazy I devil. He's a, he's a New York devil. He's a, with a lot of friends. They, they're coming and then uh, spend the time. Mm-hmm. April Bloomfield, uh, Mark yes. Ladner, Mark, wonderful chef. To, to spend yeah. the time there to teach to our cooks because uh, the, the guests, they don't live in uh, um, one big building with a big room. They're living in their houses. So we have a 48 different houses where they're living, all our people. And then we have a kitchen the, because the food is important, not only how you cook, but the, the preparation is uh, nice to smell the food, to smell the ingredients, to see, because uh, maybe it's a something to give a stimulation and uh, to eat uh, more good food. Who going to read? We hope that reading the people they enjoy the food, and they understand that the food is not only um, the fact of the pleasure to enjoy dinner or lunch, but is something more important for some people to eat good food is about the good life. Yeah, and, and I think the other piece is that if you read it, you you, you can't get the sort of the delicious nuance of relationships but you know Mark Ladner and a lot of these folks Kevin Garcia worked with Chez and it doesn't come out in the book but Maria Loy who's probably considered to be the top Greek restaurant person on earth at least she'll tell me that all the time 
fights Chez all the time about Greek versus Italian. And to be in those moments where the Italians learned everything from the Greeks and vice versa is pretty magical. And then the other part of this is that we're actually starting to look at different products. We have a big herb products that are now at Italy uh, that Chez has developed with John David, who's our 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 healing garden expert. We've brought some very interesting people. Our newest project is a goat farm because we are looking for goat cheese and yogurt because it's easier on the stomach. So we're, we're still in this process moving forward. And then I hope, you know, moms and dads who deal, who have kids with lifelong disabilities reads it and gets a sense of what they could do in terms of food. Don't you think that this could help everyone, really, though? Yeah. As well, I mean, our country is just plagued with diabetes and and obesity, and you know, there's the the nutrition education is almost nothing. Yeah. You know, I when I when we first took folks out of the institution, a lot of the community folks didn't want people living next to themselves. You know, they thought that their daughters were going to be raped by people coming out of the institutions. And I remember when I would pitch opening some of these places, I'd have to say to folks, this is some 40 years ago, i go, listen, guys, if you live long enough, you join this club. And when you think of it, the onset of dementia and Alzheimer's that is now today, which wasn't 40 years ago, yeah, most people at the end of their life are become totally disabled. So you want this, you want us to win because at the end, it's going to translate to everybody. And if there's ever a time on earth to, with, with your beautiful sentiment, that says we're all in, we're all in. You know, it's the poker game where everybody just takes their chips and we're all in. More than ever, we need to be all in. We need to grab a hold of diversity and love it and learn to deal with it. We have to deal with personal health, uh, long-term health for all of us. And I think we're a place that's trying to deal with it with a very complex group of people, but it's very translational to everybody. And, you know, the the other thing that I think your food show is, it, it also, this is celebrating brilliant chefs who give their time hundreds of hours, these world-class chefs who really believe what they say you know it's not this fancy fussy bullshit they actually believe it and when these guys come up bill telepan and maria and mark and kevin garcia they're into it and then there's a whole bunch of others which is Chez is their leader and it's always nice to have the king <laughs> surrounding you and that's who Chez is but the chefs you know with their their rock star status now they deserve it because they are bringing food to all of us in a much better way. For sure. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with the morning after quiz.
the morning after a quiz, Chisare. Hello. Hello. When uh, hello, your name spells in English Cesar. So in Italian, Cesare. Cesare. Uh, but it reminded me of another famous uh, Caesar in America, Little Caesar's Pizza. Mm. Um, it's a so wonderful you Italian never product. never been there. <laughs> Fantastic! That's what I was hoping. <laughs> never been so. there. I want to go all the time there, but no, you don't. Never <laughs> well, you might. You know what? You might. If you want to go get a black hot dog, you might want to go get some Little Caesars pizza. But whatever you quiz, put your mind to, Cesare. I'm going to ask you about all the madcap, weird happenings that can happen inside a Little Caesars pizza Ooh. anywhere in America. So I'm going to ask you three questions. You too, Patrick. You're, you too. You, you can jump team. in if you no, want. I think this is Chessy. See, this oh, is all Chessy. I mean, you, you know, he, you can phone a friend, Chessy. Yeah. Yeah. You we can. are team. What, are you living now? I, I can translate the Italian if you Perfect. need it. Perfect. I appreciate it. So I'm going to ask you three multiple choice questions about the weird and sometimes mad cat happenings inside Little Caesar's Pizza. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. <laughs> Question number one. A Houston area woman and, and her son roughed up a 50-year-old man inside a Little Caesars restaurant. Um, what prompted this brawl? One, A, A. <laughs> the man walked up to their table and started eating their pizza, just like not saying anything, just eating their food. B, upon the man seeing the woman in the restaurant, told her that, quote, she should not eat pizza because she was already overweight. Or C, after hearing which toppings the mother and son had chosen for their pizza, started preaching that God had not intended for pepperoni and olives to lay together in the <gasps> same pie, saying, quote, you will burn in hell for this unholy union. <laughs> what caused a fight inside Little Caesars? You know, I think the, ter- the C is a much more... <laughs> complex, more crazy, <laughs> uh, but I, no, I've never been there, so I don't know how is it there. It's okay. The you don't have to know. No, you can just how, yeah. I think the seas are more uh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that because I made that up myself. It's not the right it's, answer. But I think it's actually, it's actually number one. <laughs> it's B. We're kidding. It, because it's Texas and men in Texas are special. They feel like they can tell women anything. Oh, that's terrible. The comment sent the woman into a rage. She went to her car to get a crowbar. Oh, <laughs> but before she could get she in any blows, rolls. before she could get in any blows, her son punched the man several times in the head. They fled. <laughs> well, he deserved it. He totally deserved it. Okay. I have a, I have a different uh, respect and uh, view for women. In Tuscany, I'm, so I believe that for that <laughs> for that to be no no, then it wasn't in my mind, <laughs> in my body. Okay, I appreciate that. Number two, Ryan Hopkins of Lexington, Kentucky, attempted to rob a Little Caesars pizza. Um, we say attempted because he wasn't successful. Why couldn't he follow through with his plan? A, he was stinking drunk and could barely slur the words, this is a stick-up, before the employees just ordered him to leave, and he did. Uh, B, 
cadets in civilian clothes from the local police academy were at a table having a meal and quickly just rushed and tackled him to the ground and waited for the real police to show up. Or C, while the employees were shoving money into a bag, the robber got hungry. He demanded a large sausage and mushroom pizza and sat down to eat it. He was so distracted by his meal, so before he knew it, the cops had showed up to arrest him. Is it A, he was too drunk, B, cadets from a police academy were sitting at a table in the restaurant, or C, he got distracted by the pizza? Patrick, maybe you went in the Little Caesar, <laughs> so you know more than me. <laughs> you know, I, I hope it's the one where he sat down and ate the pizza, because that sort of would be poetic, but it was probably the, the guys who were the cadets. Are you going to go with that? Yeah. He was so drunk. <laughs> he could not carry through, carry, carry on with it. It was, it was one of my favorite ones I read. Okay. Enough of the crimes inside Little Caesar's Pizza. Number three. Which one of these is an actual item on the Little Caesar's menu? A. A double-decker deep-dish pizza with two layers of each, crust, sauce, cheese, and toppings. Double decker, like two pizzas on top of one on top of the other. B baked you know, ziti. What? Tell me. Be, tell me everything. In some way, it can be the uh, pizza orgy. Yes. Yeah, because it went up another, and then what is in the middle? <laughs> Maybe another pizza if you want it there. Oh, oh. <laughs> very good point. <laughs> no, I was asking. <laughs> no I, rules here. No rules. <laughs> <laughs> okay, double-decker pizza, A. B, a baked ziti pizza that includes cooked pasta and four different cheeses on a pizza crust. Oh, God. That sounds kind of good. <laughs> or C, a bacon-wrapped deep-dish pizza that has three and a half feet of bacon. Ew, no. <laughs> Please don't let it be that one. I think that less disgusting is the number the the orgy pizza. You think it's the orgy pizza? I think it's the less disgusting than another two. So. Yeah. No, it's the bacon one. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. Why America? So, no, wow. I understand why I never been to Caesar. Yeah. Now you know. Now you don't. So we know. lost completely. It's okay. And were, yet, and yet you won. You you did win. I lose and you win. Time. Yay! Patrick Cesare, thank you so much for coming thank on you. the morning after. Thank really you. look forward to your next book and then your next book. Yeah. And visiting you on the farm. Great. Yes. See you guys next thank week you. on the thank morning you. after. Bye bye. Bye bye. Ciao ciao. Ciao. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.